Start a new lesson today. Are we up and going, Morgan? Okay. There we go. I'm watching myself. Okay, new lesson. We finished up the challenge of prayer. I hope that stuck with you, sticks with you for a while. This lesson, uh, we've been studying on Wednesdays on, we're going through verse by verse pretty much in the book of Revelation. And we've did... 18 lessons, and we're down to verse, eh, one likened to the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man. We're going slow because uh, it's needful. Most people, the book of Revelation, you know, they're scared to death. Monsters and Antichrist and beasts and all this other stuff. So we're going through, taking our time. It's, it's why... We go through everything, I guess, so slow. Sometimes I think we need to go slower. But uh, it's just so needful, so necessary. Just about everything we've ever been taught is wrong. And that's, that's hard to get a hold of. It hurts your pride, for one. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Revelation here for this next little study. And we're only going to be looking at just a few verses. I'm calling this the King of Kings. So this is King of Kings part one. And again, it's, it's so needful. Because very few people know who our Lord and Savior is. Who he, I mean, who He is. Let me, let me read a little bit. Revelation chapter 1. And all I'm going to be in for these next few weeks is verses 4, 5, and 6. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is... And which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten or the first born uh, out, out from among the dead of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth that also means the ruler of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us. From our sins or, or released us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us, King James says, kings and priests. It really says, has made us a kingdom. Priest unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The book of Revelation. We have been going very slow in that study because it is not the revelation of the end of time. It is not the revelation of the Antichrist. It is not the revelation of monsters. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word, this, this book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's why the book promises unusual blessings to all who read and hear the words of this prophecy. It says that in, in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and understand, or they that hear the words. That's understand. The very word revelation means apocalypse, apocalyptus. And 
you know, I, just to tell you how it is, there's a movie out. It's, it's an older movie. I like the movie. The title is terrible, but it's a good movie. It's got Bruce Willis in it, and it's called Armageddon. Y'all remember that movie? There's an asteroid coming. It's called Armageddon, so they call it Armageddon. And then the president says, the end of all things. So the end of all things is an asteroid. And you see, I mean, and to the world, that's it. Oh, man, this is apocalypse. Every time a snowstorm hits, I bet them people up on 995 was thinking, this is the apocalypse. This is the end. We're going to die in our cars on 995. The revelation, it's the, the, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The, the very word for apocalyptus, its very meaning would be if I went to those curtains right there and I pull the curtains back and light floods in, that's revelation. I pull the curtains back. Now, guys, light's already there. I'm just pulling the curtain back so you can see what is already there. And I know this is basic stuff, and I know you guys know that, but many do not know this. But if you want to get right down to it, and you think, well, it's the end. Well, you know what Jesus says? I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It's not a rock. Well, you could call it a rock because he is the rock. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whatever you read in this book, know this. It's the revelation, pulling back the cover of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit here, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This last book of the Bible here, the Holy Spirit takes the curtains, the veils that are in our minds and pulls them back and, and light floods in. And we get to full clarity uh, of, of the glory of who Jesus really is. That, that's one of the things we're looking at in this book, in our study here. Uh, I'm going to give you a verse here, a uh, couple of verses, but... In Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. I'm gonna, let me go get 15. But when it, this is Paul writing, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, his mother wasn't his natural mother. His mother was old covenant Israel. That was his mother. And then verse 16, to reveal his son. Where does that say? In me, not to me, in me. So where's the revelation of Jesus Christ taking place with Paul? In Paul. Now let me give you another verse. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Now remember, we're pulling the curtains back, pulling the veil back. In the old covenant tabernacle, you had an outer court, you had a, a holy place and a most holy place. And there was a veil there that separated the, the priest, even the high priest, from the glory of God. It was called a veil. You could only go behind, only the high priest could go behind the veil one time a year. And behind the veil, that's where the Shekinah glory was, the glory of God. So nobody could see the, the glory of God except for the high priest. And that only one time a year. And he had to go in. He had to offer sacrifices not only for the people but for himself and go in with blood. So there was a veil there. Well, now you and I, Paul says, are the temple of God, right? So in the old tabernacle, in the old temple, there was a veil. So in the new temple, there's a veil. And I'm going to show it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He's referring back to remember when Moses went up on the mountain. When Moses came down, his face did shine because he was in the very presence of God. And they wanted Moses to put a veil on his face. So Moses put a veil on his face. And this is where it picks up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13. And not as Moses which put a veil over his face... 
that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is, which is abolished. You, you understand what he's saying here? Because Moses knew that glory was fading, so he put that veil over his face. And they didn't want to see his face anyway. So he has a veil over his face. Paul, in, in the same letter, says, We see the glory of God we're at in the face of Jesus Christ. Now look, to the end of that which was abolished, what was abolished? What was abolished was, was that old covenant, which was the law which was written on stone, which he called the ministration of death. People put up the Ten Commandments, and Paul calls it the ministration of death. In verse 7, put that up there, Morgan. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious... Look, he says the Ten Commandments is the administration of death. Paul says that. I didn't say it. Now, go back with me over uh, to verse 14. Moses has put his veil over over his face. And then he says in verse 14, But their minds were blinded. For until this day, this day, right now, Remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So the veil is what? It's done away in Christ. Now we're talking about the revelation, the pulling back. And he says that the veil is done. We can clearly see who God is now, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's done away in Christ. But you know what John says, men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. They would rather turn their back. And in verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. So the veil is gone, but where's the veil at? Upon their hearts. Paul says, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. The light comes flooding in into our hearts. The veil is done away. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, what's it? A heart. The veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I know I I said a lot to... Talk a little bit about the veil. The revelation is pulling the veil back. When it shall turn, you'll see the veil is gone. The veil is done away in Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see who God is plainly in the face of Jesus Christ. The revelation. The the gospels tell me who Jesus was. They tell me the, the, the Jesus of prophecy, you know, the one that was talked about uh, in Isaiah 53 and, and, and Joel and, and uh, Micah and all them. He'd be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah and all of that. They, they tell me how Jesus came, the one who had been spoken of by the prophets all the way back to Genesis, that he'll come and he'll bruise the head of the serpent. And he stands actually in our history. And it ends, the gospel's ends, with his ascension. But it begs the question, where is Jesus now? Who, who is Jesus now? Most know the Jesus of history. But they don't know the now Jesus. The now Jesus, the Jesus of now. The Jesus of now is the one who sent the Holy Spirit, gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know, you know what the Bible says about the giving of the Holy Spirit. He only gave it to a special few people. Only the most holy elect few people got the gift of the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember that in Acts chapter 2? Denise must have a different Bible. She's laughing, shaking her head. Let me go see here what the Bible says. I swear I thought it said he only gave the Holy Spirit 
to a few good people. And it shall come to pass, Acts chapter 2 verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, in the last days of what? In the last days of time? No, in the last days of the old covenant. In the last days of the old covenant system. And when, when did that system end? When Jesus said it's finished, when he hung on the cross, that was it. That was the last days. Genesis says, or uh, Hebrews says the same thing. Let me go get that one. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, last days of what? Last days of the old covenant, spoken to us in his Son. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. So the last days is not the last days on the calendar at the end of time, at the Armageddon of everything. It was the last days of the old covenant. When the, when, when the veil would be pulled back, when the Holy Spirit would be given, the same Jesus, I'm telling you, is the one who gave the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says back in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, days saith God, we got to put that in there because I want you to know who's saying this. Not Luke. God says this. It wasn't Joel. God says this. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Golly, I thought only the special people got him. I thought only the people that went to church got him. I'm mean, just telling you what he says. I didn't say it because he says, God, saith God, not Jim. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You reckon he did it? And let me back up to verse 16 because what had happened was they were in the upper room. They wasn't expecting this. This is the day of Pentecost. Okay, they're in an upper room, not in a house. They're over in the tabernacle. And this sound of a mighty rushing wind comes in. You guys have heard the story before. Tongues as fire lit on them. And every man heard in their own language. And these people began to say, look, these men, look, Peter and those guys, they're drunk. It's just the, the, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, they're drunk. And Peter jumps up and says, but this is that. What does that mean? This is that. This is now that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Peter says, this is that. Joel talked about it. This is it. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men see vision. Old men dream, shall dream dreams. Do you see? That happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Which he says in the last days. It's that Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit couldn't be given. Why? Because, the, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John says, he says, Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, but the Holy, this he spake of the Holy Spirit, which is not yet given because Jesus is not yet glorified. So what I'm trying to tell you is this revelation is not of the Jesus of Nazareth, who born in a manger down there. This is the glorified Jesus, the Jesus of now, the one who is King of Kings right now. Not one of these days God's going to crown him King. Not one of these days of coming kingdom, now he's king, sitting on the throne of the universe. You know what? You're seated with him, whether you know it or not. What did I just read to you? You may not know it because the veil is on your heart, but when it, the heart shall turn. And then we're changed into what? That same image from glory, from glory to glory. What two glories is he talking about? The glory of the old to the glory of him, the person of Jesus himself. Because Jesus says, the glory that I have, I give to you. I always grew up and I said, he won't share his glory. He won't share his glory. And Jesus said, I, the glory I have, I'm sharing it with you. It's amazing. This, this, this Jesus is amazing. And this Holy Spirit that he has given us, that he's poured out upon all flesh, what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would do? The, the Holy Spirit would do what? Testify of me. Who is who? King of kings. Ruler of the, of, of the kings of the earth. 
The Holy Spirit is telling us who Jesus is now. Most people don't know who he is now. They read the Bible and they got an ideal of who he was back in the day. The epistles unfold to us who Jesus is, but so does this book like no other way this book of Revelation gives us. The book of Revelation begins where the Gospels leave off. The very first visions of the book of Revelation, we see a lamb as it had freshly been slain. What's he talking about there? The cross. And, and John sees in his visions this lamb that has freshly been slain coming up to the throne to receive the seven sealed book. Why? Because he had overcome. When was that? That's when he ascended. That's what Daniel was talking about when he ascended. He wasn't talking about his second coming. He was talking about his ascension. When Jesus ascended, he had just freshly been slain, but now risen from the dead. He enters into the heaven. He receives the throne. He sat down. That's where the gospel ends. That's where revelation begins. And there follows the unfolding of the glory of who Jesus is, who the King of kings is, who the Lord of lords is. We say those things and they're words who roll off our lips. But do we know who this person is? And when John writes this book here, this book of Revelation, he puts in this little introduction. This is who the book is from. I want you to get a hold of this. This is what amazed me. This is what amazed me. Let me... uh, Let me just show you something. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, listen to what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Who's writing the letter? Paul is writing the letter. And he's writing the letter to to the people at Ephesus. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but of Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me and to the church of Galatia. Who's writing the letter? I mean, it's a salutation. It's a greeting, right? Um, let's see if I can find another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. You see, who's writing the letter? Paul. Uh, second epistle of Peter Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ who's writing the letter you, you see you're getting a greeting here now all through the scriptures you will find that but in this book of Revelation you're getting a salutation from the king of kings himself do you get that? You're getting a personal letter. Does that not excite you a little bit? The other epistles begin with the person who sends it, where they are, the circumstances. The book of Revelation begins with with the person who sends it. From him who is, who was, is to come. From the seven spirits that are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness who was the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's who this book is from. This book comes from the eternal God. We're going to be looking at this greeting that he sends. That's how we're going to be looking at it in this book. Because, I mean, if you can understand the greeting of this book. And when you're reading this book and you're reading about all these crazy things. You remember how in the challenge of prayer we had to go back to the foundation. Go back to the greeting. Go back to the greeting. Just read this greeting over and over again. And let that permeate. Let that soak in. He says, he, the writer of this letter, the author of this letter here, he says, let me me go back over here, listen to what he says. 
Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, Morgan. I don't know if the, if the uh, punctuation will be there. You see that little, what's them two dots called? A period over a period. Well, if y'all want to call it a colon, I'll call it a period over a period. Or a little short equal sign, is that right, Nevaeh? It's not a short equal sign. Notice the letter starts right here. Grace. This is from, from the king of kings. He's writing you a personal letter. And he starts just like Paul and Apostle and all these other. Paul, Simon Peter, a servant and all this. This is coming from the king of kings. And he's writing you a letter. And he says, grace. I thought he was ticked off. I thought he was mad. I thought he was really Hell bent on sending everybody to hell as fast as he could and going to blow everybody up. He's writing his own letter in the midst of these people here getting set on fire, put on poles and being burnt and fed to the lions. And his words are grace. Grace be unto you, towards you. Grace and peace. That's who it's from. This letter isn't from John. John's the secretary. You know what a secretary is? The secretary goes in and, and takes the thing and they write down. And, and whoever's saying, they write down. And they're just taking dictation. And they write down. Cause, but the secretary, the letter ain't from the secretary. John here is the secretary. And John is writing down. And this letter is not from John. This letter is from him who is holy. The Holy One of Israel. The king of kings. What a salutation. This grace, this peace is from him who is, who was, and is to come. Now you see, guys, why we're taking our time in the book of Revelation. Because this, just the very greeting itself here. The, the everlasting God is sending to us grace and peace. And this is what caught my attention. This, this is what, if you will, arrested me. He wasn't giving us a warning. This is the book of Revelation. I thought the last book of the Bible, this is it. This is a great warning. No, he starts off the book not by giving us a warning. He says, blessed is he that readeth. And then he says, grace and peace be unto you, towards you. It's after you. Grace and peace is hunting you down. Now, why can't we see that? The veil. The veil that's on our hearts. Because we've been told this false image of who God is, of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, how angry He is. And we don't really see Him. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to go down and chase that rabbit, but... What do you understand by that? When we say grace and peace be unto you, how do you get that? How do you understand that? And, and I'll tell you, some never get beyond the feeling. Some never get beyond the feeling. There'll be people today that want to go out and they want to have special feelings. I'm not, a, I'm not a, uh, an enemy of feelings or, or emotional stuff, but it doesn't rule me. I mean, you know, uh, do you know how many times that we've sung hymns? Not so much here, but I know we're used to. The sadder the hymn, the more we get people cry, the more we would say we had a spiritual meeting. So we'd sing Amazing Grace and... And, and get all deep religious feelings and people like the feelings and, and they love that. And that's grace to them. I mean, Kathy remembers, we, I mean, how many times they'd go to church and they'd sing a song and everybody would be crying. And, 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 you know, the song would be about somebody dying and, and, you know, my dying bed soft as downy pillows are. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to rejoice over this. I want to rejoice over life. You, you understand what I'm, Kathy knows exactly what I'm talking about. First time, you know, me and Tracy got together, uh, I think our first date was at a funeral. <laughs> she says, that was not. I'm in trouble now. I'm going to hell. Second date, maybe. 
Yeah, how you dig your way out of that? I need help, Tim. I need help. <laughs> Grace. <laughs> but I, I took her to some services before, and, and we could take a song, and she would say, my God, y'all took 30 minutes to sing one song. Yeah, now she said, yeah. 30 minutes for one song. That's without a course and a bridge. Y'all think I'm lying. I'm not. And then people would cry, and they would say, well, that's, that's grace. There's much more to grace. There's much more. Some would say that grace is the free, unmerited gift of God. Right? You've heard that before? Yeah, unmerited favor. Yeah. That's, that's a little closer. I'm getting back on the right track, but grace in this, uh, uh, the Greek translation here, charismata, I think that's uh, how it says. I kind of always have to give you my simple understanding. It, it, it could be translated as a, a birthday present. I think on that, a birthday present. In, in the sense it means something that's unmerited. It was unearned. If you earned it, it's not a present, is it? But it's even, it's more than that. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. I want you to understand this. The, the grace of God, it, it's not a static thing. The grace of God is God pursuing us to give us something. Grace as action. In other words, it's after you. To begin with, there ain't a one of y'all in here ask for the grace of God. Let me set that straight. Paul, go read Romans chapter 2 and 3 and you'll find out that all comes short. None sought after the Lord, not one. Zero. You wasn't looking for the grace of God. So how did the grace of God come upon you? He hunted you down. Remember the lost sheep? <laughs> that lost sheep wasn't looking for the shepherd. The shepherd had to go. The, the grace of God went and got the lost sheep and carried the sheep back. The grace of God came and got you and carried you to the Father. Grace. Like a mighty hunter hunted you down. I mean, what do you think about even people in your family? And I know, and they say, boy, they're on the wrong track. And I say, but they don't know who's on their trail. Always remember that. They don't know who's on their trail. He's a mighty hunter. I read of Nimrod was a mighty hunter, but he hunted to kill. I read of another who is king of kings. He's a greater hunter than Nimrod was. Oh, and his arrows, they don't miss. They don't miss. This is the one I'm talking about. This is the one who comes and says, Grace, peace be unto you. God came after us. He searched. He hunted us down. That's what Psalm 23 is. Surely, without a doubt. I mean, this is part of covenant. This is who God is. Surely, goodness and mercy. Surely, God's goodness and His loving kindness will follow. That word follow means hunt you down. David said, no matter where I go, if I make my bed in hell, behold, the Lord is there. He will hunt me down. I mean, we aren't here because we decided we're going to go enjoy God because we had an idea and decided to give God our heart. And you know, some preacher made a thing. And I, you know what? I think it would be a good idea to give God my heart. No! He doesn't want your heart anyway. It's corrupt. God never forces anything on us, but He pursues us. You see, there's so many things in our Christian, religious, whatever walk. You know, we've said all these things a thousand times. You know, so many people, oh, congratulations. I kind of understand what they mean. I gave my heart to the Lord today. No, I guess God was up there heartless and needed a heart. And then you had a good one, Teddy, and give yours to the Lord. And the Lord says, finally, I got Teddy's heart. I'm, I'm a complete person. No. 
Grace as He gives you His. What a difference. That's grace. I mean, I hear this great God telling us if I was hungry, would I ask you? He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He needs nothing from us. But yet this God, this everlasting God, gives us, pursues us. And you know, when we look back, this God who is, was, is to be, when we look back, we can see how He pursued us. If you look back, you can see it. To give us this free, unmerited gift. And the, but the grace of God is even more than that. The, the grace of God is the unmerited, unearned, unasked for gift of God that He gives us when we should be getting the very opposite. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're at home and somebody comes knocking on your door and they're in rags. Looks like they haven't worked in forever. They've lost everything and they're smelly and no bath and they ask for food and you go into your cupboard and you give them food. Some would call that the grace of God. Well, let me give you a better example. Now, this is really, truly what happened. Let's say that person broke into your home stole the most precious things out of your home, tore up your house, and then you hunted them down and gave them the rest of your stuff. And you blessed them. Uh -huh. Kathy's giving me that look over there like, huh, that's grace. That's grace. Yeah. Do you see the difference? I mean, oh, we could, somebody knocks on the door and we could... Yeah, we all, here's a can of green beans. Oh, I graced them. But what about that person? And, and when I say that, guys, that's what we did. We crucified the Lord of glory. We all stood there and said, we will not have this man rule over us. Caesar, the world is our king. We wasn't looking for God. None of us, nobody was. We all ran and hid. We didn't want him in our life. But still yet, he's a straight shooter and he's a great hunter. And he came. The goodness of God leads man to turn, to repentance, to turn. What is to turn? The scripture says, when the heart shall turn, when the heart shall repent, you'll see the goodness, the glory of God. We're at in the face of Jesus Christ. What made you turn? The goodness of God. Getting the very opposite. See, and that's, this is what I mean. We can look out and you can, you can watch the news and you can get aggravated and you can see all of this other stuff. And you can look on TV and you can see that person deserves this and they just look what they've done. And the grace of God, the grace of God, Peter says, this is that which the prophet said. In the, in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit. You saw it. This saith God, I shall pour out my spirit on who? The good? Those who deserve it? The Jews only? The good Greeks who get converted? All flesh. All flesh. And what does, that, what does the Holy Spirit do? Testifies of Him who comes to greet you and says, Grace and peace be unto you. How did Jesus always show up? Peace, be not afraid, fear not. All through the scriptures, fear not, fear not. I mean, and we've been told our whole lives, fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You better be afraid of Him or He'll bust you up. I mean, He's ready to judge and He's ready to uh, cast into hell and He's ready to cast off those who make a mistake. But this one who writes the one and only letter that he writes and John is the secretary and his greetings to you is grace peace he's amazing I mean Isaiah said I don't know what we're going to call him but all I can say is wonderful his name is wonderful what's his name wonderful it's wonderful 
Grace is when God gives to us freely the very reverse, the very opposite of what we deserve. And there, in grace, makes himself available. For his gift is his very self, his very person. He's the gift. I want you to get a hold of that. Grace ain't a thing. You know, a minute ago I was giving an example of going in and getting green beans. Green beans would be the grace. He gives himself. God comes to us, makes himself totally available to us. He, he is as available to us as we want to take. See, the whole lie back in Genesis, hath God said, really, God is withholding. The whole lie is, with grace, with, with any of this stuff, religion is, God is withholding. Let me tell you something. There is no limit of what you can receive and take from God. I'm going to tell you what. There's a little picture here in, in, a, in a, this little young lady. I can't wait to meet her. Her name is Ruth. Her name is Ruth. Y'all remember who Ruth was? She, she gleaned in the corners of the field. And finally when she slept at the feet of Boaz, do you remember what she got? She filled her skirt plum full. She got and he just heaped it in it. Uh, I was trying to think of the uh, the word that that he used right there, some kind of portion. But uh, man, that's that's who it is. What was that word? I, I got to go look that word up. Yeah, it'll bother me the rest of the day. Ruth. Well, it says that he measured six measures of barley on her. But that's not the word. I'll have to go back and look it up. You people are supposed to know these things. He gives of himself. You can take all that you can receive. Now, listen, we've never earned it. We've never merited that. There's never been a time when we can say, I'm worthy now, I can take. God comes to us giving Himself. That's what I always say. They say, oh boy, He was really blessed. He was really blessed. He was really... He is the blessing. He comes giving Himself to those who deserve the very opposite. And you can have as much of God as you want. And I'm going to tell you this. Even if you don't want, want very much, He loves you anyway. Y'all remember the, the prodigal? After the pigs, he took his inheritance and went away and At first he began to argue with the father when he came back and then he just shut up and what did he do? He received. He received the best robe, the best shoes, the ring, the party. It's all yours. You can have it. It's yours. And you know, he never cringed. He never drew back and said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He received. He received father's love and he understood what grace was and he dared to take it. You know what? You know, that's, you know what a dare is. I don't know if you ladies know as much, but boys growing up, man, I dare you. I dare you. What's that? Double dare. dare, yeah, double dare. Yeah, double dog dare, yeah. That's what he's saying right here. I double dog dare you to take of the grace of God. 
But the elder brother, I mean, and here we go with the elder brother. Even though he never left, geographically, he was close to the father the whole time. He didn't understand love. He's right beside the father all these years and had never taken anything. Why didn't he? He didn't feel he had earned it. I've been talking to my good friend. He's going down there. There's uh, at his church, and there's people right there who won't receive the grace of God because they feel like they didn't read enough last week. They didn't pray enough last week. They didn't do all of this stuff last week. So they, they won't take. I haven't earned it. And this elder brother, he gives us a list of all he's done. I've slaved here for years. I've, I've slaved there. I've helped bring in the lambs. I've, we've done the wheat. We've done all of this stuff. I've been your slave and your servant, and you never paid me like that. And the father's response was, all that I have is yours. And you could never earn this. It was, you could never merit this. It's, it's already yours. All you got to do is take. And the elder brother never took. He wouldn't take. He stood outside in the outer darkness while he watched his younger brother take and receive. But let me tell you something else. Here's something strange. They both were loved the same. You know, the father didn't say, well, guess what? I got a new favorite. He didn't have a favorite. He loved him the same. He loves us the same. Those people who make you cringe, I want you to know right now the grace of God hunting them down. And He loves them the same as He loves you and me. And that love that is, is the same was shown on the cross with His precious blood was shed. And He says, Father, forgive them. All that God is, is yours. Now. It's free for you to take. Imagine that. Grace and peace be unto you. All that he is is yours. Now. God doesn't love you more if you suddenly get saved. He loves you whether you got saved or whether you don't. Thank God for that. Because that would mean when I wasn't, he didn't love me. And then I done something and earned his love. Right? That's who he is. You can take as much of him as you, you can want. You can go in there like Ruth and hold your skirt out and he pours six measures. He can pour seven measures. He just all you can carry. And I will tell you this, some people would rather die than to accept something that's free. I remember. Uh, when I was in on construction on the railroad and we would, we'd burn these cables. Y'all remember them old big cable reels? Y'all ever seen them? Some people make picnic tables out of them and stuff. And so a lot of times we would bury miles after miles after miles of this cable. We'd have these big old cable reels. I mean, these things are this high, but this big around. And a lot of times we left on Thursdays, we'd set them out at the location. Hopefully somebody would come pick them up here. They're free. And we'd write on them free. Nobody would take them. So we had this idea, let's write on them $20 a reel. They stole every one. Yeah. Wouldn't take them if they was free. No. Wrote on them $20 a reel. They stole every one. See what I mean? It's a mentality, people. Yeah. People will say, I don't want your charity. They say this to God. What is it? Pride of life. I won't receive. I'll do it myself. But when I understand that this gift God has given me is not only unearned, unmerited, but it's that God is saying, you know you deserve the opposite. And for me to admit that I deserve the opposite, but I'm going to take what God has given that kills me dead. Everybody will admit they deserve the opposite. And then, but, but they'll stand back, they'll, they'll hold back, just like that elder brother did, and they'll say, when I'm worthy enough, when I have changed all the situations in my life, when I've cleaned myself up, 
put on my Sunday best, done all those things, started reading the Bible, get it all right, then I'll go and take. And to those people I say, you'll never get anything. You'll never get nothing. Double negative. Never get nothing. Nothing. Not nothing. Nothing. The person who receives all of God knows full well he deserves the opposite. But he comes to take. And in that, that kills the I. I'm crucified with Christ. The I there is the ego. It kills the ego. Because you know you don't deserve it. You know you blew it. But yet you come and take anyway. And religion always be there to say, how dare you? How dare you? But in that, it makes me a helpless receiver of God. Helpless in the fact that I, I bring no righteousness here. I bring no, no merit, no earning, no nothing. I just come and take. You know, he says, come and receive of the water of life and bring $20. I got to get the Bible y'all got. Ye that have no money, come and buy. What's the cost? Free. You know, I mean, this is what, I mean, these ought to give you the little pictures. You remember the woman, uh, the creditors come and, and she's got a little bit of oil. I'm telling you what, that woman would still be putting oil if she had enough pots. She'd run out of pots. She didn't run out of oil. Go to the neighbors and borrow all they got. This is how much grace there is. Go to the neighbor. Go, go, go to another neighbor's. Make a journey. Go get all the pots you can. This is how much you can take of God and His grace freely. I told you. That's why the gospel is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Because we don't, it's like I told you the story about the guy who breaks into your home and steals everything you got, but grace goes and gives him the rest of it and blesses him. Hmm. Makes me a helpless receiver of God. And guys, that's the common denominator of kingdom people. It says, blessed or happy are they who are poor in spirit. For theirs, I believe it says, is the kingdom of heaven. Is. When, when is is? Is is an hour word, isn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who can't bring any merit, any of this, I've earned it, any of this stuff. Blessed, happy are they. Happy. Y'all know what happy is? How many people do you know that are happy? I know some little kids that are happy. But it seems like once they get up to about 14 or 15, that, that happiness goes away. Right? Why is that? And he says, happy is they that are spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, man. Now he says grace and peace because at that moment I've come there. Peace is mine. There's no more war. There's no more struggle. No more trying to prove to God that I'm worthy. I freely come and take of the grace of God. That's peace. That's rest. And if you think about it, it's wonderful. I don't have to read my Bible so many hours for God to give me something. I, I can't earn it by saying so many prayers. I just come and receive. That's rest. That's peace. Peace. There's no more war inside of me. Warring, trying to please God, trying to do this, trying to fight God, all of these things. I've come under the Lord. Grace. And he who is the Lord, he who is grace, brings peace within me. And I want, I want to tell you this. Most of our anger at each other is because we're angry at God. I mean, if you can see in the bigger sense, I mean, all the division, all the politics, all the everything going on, people angry, people, parties angry. Where's all that anger? People can jump up. And, and you know what people even do? People are so angry at God, they'll say, well, I just won't believe in him anymore. I'll just become an atheist. And that way, you know. So everybody has this anger inside them. If you don't know, cut somebody off on the highway. You'll come across their anger really quick. 
You ever be in line with somebody checking out and their card don't work? They'd be biting the checkout lady's head off. I mean, I mean, they got this anger in them. And this anger is towards God. I mean, Tracy works at the bank up there. I mean, these people come in and try to do stuff and they can't do it and they get mad. And I think, you know, sometimes you might have to call the law. Why is that? Because people are saying, people ask you the question, if I was God, this stuff wouldn't happen. If I was God, there wouldn't be no cancer. If I was God, there wouldn't be no storms. And there wouldn't be this. And if I was God, so really the anger is directed at God. If I was God, I would fix it. What's he doing? Where's he at? What, why? I mean, he's asleep at the wheel. Because I would do better. Isn't that what people say? Why? Why did God let this happen? Why did God... Allow this. Because they can't see. They don't know who he is. So our anger, and we direct that anger, we throw it out at other people. But it's really directed at God because I would do a whole lot better job if I was God. It would be a perfect 73 degrees for the rest of the time. Nobody would be sick. Everybody would be great. You know? Everybody would love everybody. They tried that in the 60s, you know. I'll tell you what we'll do is get everybody to smoke dope and then everybody will love each other. Yeah, we're trying that today, ain't they? Let's get everybody hooked on something. Everybody will love each other. They'll be a zombie. Yeah. If I was God, that's what I'll do. We'll follow the science. Science is our God. Yeah. What's that get you? So this anger. And guys, if you can't see this anger bubbling, boiling over, it's boiling, bubbling over in, there, in everywhere. I mean, they don't show you all this stuff. I mean, I just look around. I mean, Turkey's about to fall. Ukraine's about to fall. Pakistan doesn't fail. We see half the United States is already falling. It's all over the world. But if I was God, there wouldn't be no famines. Everybody would have food. Everybody would, yeah. Because we don't have a clue. We do not have a clue. Grace and peace unto you. We, we live in the grace. We live in the peace of God. But let me say something here. John was writing to born again people. He was writing to the seven churches in Asia. And he says, grace and peace unto you. And I, I want to say this. It isn't that God at one time gives grace. I remember when God gave me grace back in 1980. God is willing. When I say willing, He is willing, you know, willing His grace and peace to people who've already received it. In other words, there's no end to receiving the grace of God. Not something you got back in 1980 and that was it. And maybe He'll give you a little more. There's no end. You know, John 1.16, the writer of the Gospel of John, also the secretary here in this book, he writes, and grace upon grace, or grace for grace. Grace upon grace, John 1.16. What he's saying there, it's like a, a, a you, I know everybody here has been to the beach, I guess, and here comes a wave. And you know, you ever, you ever go walking on the beach and you don't want to get your feet wet. Maybe you got shoes on and here comes a wave. And what do you have to do? You got to turn and run from it because that thing is just chasing you down. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And you, you wanted to walk this way. And now you got to move way over here because this wave is coming. And then what comes right behind that? Another one. And it's pushing you back even farther. And if that ain't enough, here comes another one. And if they just keep on coming, your best bet is to get off the beach or you're going to get your feet wet. This, that's what he's saying, grace upon grace. It just keeps coming. And uh, okay, you was right here and you move. Well, guess what? It's going to move with you. It's just going to keep coming. It's just going to keep tracking you down. This is the grace of God. Wave after. That's what John is saying, grace upon grace. It's going to keep coming. And this is the blessing uh, uh, this is how this book begins. The opening blessing from the everlasting God. Grace and peace be unto you. Blessed is he that reads. Watch the blessing. Grace and peace be unto you. Now blessing, what does it mean? Uh, quickly, it means to gift someone with words of power. He told those guys, wait down there. Jerusalem until you be gifted with what? Power from on high. 
words of power. When you, so when you bless, there better be some content to it. That, you know, the, the word encourage, that's to take courage. We talked about that last week and put it in somebody. In courage. Because the act of blessing, you are gifting with words that will do something. You're gifting words of power. So God now blesses us. And what does he say? He says, grace and peace to you. That's his blessing. They're words of power. They're God's gift. He comes to us to bless to bring us his word of power, his, his grace is, his peace is, and it's ours for the taking. They aren't simply empty words because they're spoken by the everlasting God from him who is, who was, and is to come. I'll be done here in just like five minutes. You remember Moses, he has got to go back, go back to the people, go tell Pharaoh, and Moses says, you know, God, when I go back and I do all this stuff, they're going to ask me who you are. They're going to ask me what your name is. Now, in the Hebrew, when you read this word, it'll be all capitalized in the Old Testament. It's Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. Because they wouldn't say the word it was too holy for them to say. And, and that's a terrible translation because Lord is really a title, not a name. So they, they translated it capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But the name is really Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And what that says is, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. Yahweh. It means He always is. You win as is. Y'all said it is as now. He always is. Now. Is. Who is He now? King of kings. Lord of lords. Who is He now in this situation? Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say I was. He exists because He is existence. He doesn't have life. He is it. I am. We come with needs to God. God is what? I am. All through the Old Testament, you, you give, He gives revelation of His name. I mean, you, you go and fight a battle and you raise a banner and He says, I'm your banner. I am your banner. Well, these snakes and everything is biting us and we need a healer. I am your healer. I mean, he would say Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah whatever. He's given a revelation of I am. I am your strength. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. I'm your fortress. He never changes. The Hebrews called him the living God. Every time they use that expression, there's somebody uh, that's out to get them or somebody's laughing at God and they said, we're talking about the living God here. They weren't just saying that He's alive. It means the God who is life, the I Am, who, uh, uh, who is being. He's the living God and you can't tiptoe around Him. You can't pretend He's not there. You can't escape Him. See, when we get on here in a few minutes in the book of Revelation, not today, but on our Wednesday study, these people tried to hide from them. Let the rocks fall on us. Let the mountains hide us. Let us hide us. And when they, when they refer and they're mocking God and they're laughing at Israel and all this stuff, they said, the living God, they said, make no mistake. God is not mocked. You cannot hide from this God. He's the living God. When David goes out against the liar, he says, you come at me with swords and spears, but I come to you in the name of the living God. Same thing when Daniel was in the lion den, lion's den. The Jews wouldn't even pronounce that name. They, they wouldn't even say it. That's why we don't know much about it. We don't understand. Name means John or, or Jim or whoever, but this is who he is. They had such an, an all of the name. If they, if they were writing the name in the, in the scrolls, 
when they come to write that name, they would get a new pen and write that pen, or they would get a new pen, go bathe, change the clothes, write the name, throw the pen away, and go take another bath and come back and get another pen and start writing again. See, we have no idea of, of, of what these people went through. But I'm going to tell you this. This is why, and, and this is a lot of controversy right here. This who was writing this letter, who is, was, and is to come. First begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth. Writing to us grace and peace. And in that name, that name, this person of who he is. You remember Jesus when he's leaving. Right here, I told you the gospels leave off right where Revelation begins. And Jesus, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name. And I know you want to say the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And many people argue. Church is split. But this is a Jew talking here. This is a Hebrew. And he says, baptizing them in the name. And then he gives a further revelation of the name. That the name is now seen in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yahweh. I am that I am. The I am. Yahweh is now known as the Father. You have the Son, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. He said, I am the I am of the Old Testament. He's is the eternal God existing in three persons. And I'm telling you, people argue over that. And they say, no, you got to baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I tell you the word Lord means? I am that I am. Baptize in the name of the, of the Father. Who's the Father? Yahweh. I am. Baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Who's Jesus? The Son and the Holy Spirit, Christ. When you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have said the same thing. The church is split over it. And I'm going to close right here. He who is, most live in the past, most live in the future. But He is now. He who is now. Grace and peace unto you. Now is. We meet Him in the is. We meet Him in the now. We live in the is of God. And all that God is, He is now unchangeable. And all that He is is yours, free for the taking. As much as you can take. And I will quit with that right there. King of kings. Lord of lords.